Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. Today, we've got two nonfiction books for you, and both of them feature women living the life they thought they were supposed to be living. But all the while, there's a little voice inside them saying, hmm, something's not right here. In a bit, we'll hear from author and podcast host Glennon Doyle about her best-selling book, Untamed. But first, Olympic runner Alexi Pappas, surprise, surprise, runs a lot. But all that running wasn't fixing this thing inside her, her depression. She was crushing all of these big external goals without ever looking inward. And she told NPR's Ari Shapiro that being an Olympian, being seen as someone stronger than normal, almost beyond human, made it hard for her to ask for help. Alexi Pappas wears a lot of hats. She's an Olympic runner who ran the 10,000 meters for the Greek national team in Rio. She's a filmmaker and actor. Her latest indie rom-com, Olympic Dreams, was filmed during the 2018 Winter Games. And now she's also a memoirist. Her new book is called Bravey. Bravey is a word that came about from a poem I wrote, which was run like a bravey, sleep like a baby, Dream like a crazy, replace can't with maybe. After she tweeted that poem, the word bravey took on a life of its own as a battle cry for Pappas and the young runners who idolize her. Growing up, I often chased outward-facing words and labels like strong, fierce, fast, funny, and I realized that they describe an energy you project in the world. But this word bravey felt different. It felt like a choice about the relationship you have with yourself. It's a fitting title for her memoir. I think of Alexi Pappas as someone fiercely focused on hugely ambitious external goals. But in this book, she turns that focus inward to examine her childhood, her family, and her own mind. The introduction begins with why she started running, and I asked her to read the first paragraph. My earliest memory of running was in the first grade, when a boy in my class made fun of my best friend, and I not only chased him down, but caught him and stabbed him with a pencil to make sure he knew I wasn't around. In middle school, I channeled my athletic ability in a more productive way, the track team, organized chasing. We had weekly meets at the local high school dirt track, which was very exciting to us 12-year-olds. The meets were co-ed, and I won them all. I liked the feeling of winning. It made me feel like I mattered. All I've ever wanted in my life is to matter. First of all, I just love that your running debut was like as an Avenger, basically stabbing a villain. But but I want to ask about that last sentence, all I've ever wanted in my life is to matter. When, When did you realize that feeling like you matter is what's most important to you? Well, I'll first admit that I think that it wasn't the most sustainable feeling to have, and I'd learned that later in life. But where it started was the first like five years of my life coincided with my mom's last, and my mom took her own life just before I turned five. And my experience with her in those first five or so years were difficult and made me feel like I didn't matter enough for her to stay. And that five-year-old understanding of the world really motivated me to matter to everybody else. And it fueled me to do great things. I chased, you know, an Olympic dream and other big dreams and got those things. But what I needed to learn eventually and did learn the hard way 
is that chasing those external accomplishments was never going to solve that internal problem. Hmm. You describe this period just after the Olympics in Rio, where externally, things were going amazingly for you. You had just set a Greek record in the 10,000 meters. Your movie had a distribution deal, but you were in really deep pain, and it was really difficult for you to to seek help. Yeah, I think it's that came from chasing this somewhat singular goal of making it to the Olympics for a substantial period of time and and never planning for what came next and and when it did end instead of slowing down and pausing and recognizing the impact of an event like that I was searching for what was next and that came from that childhood want to always matter always be performing and and that's unsustainable but I didn't understand it at that time and so I spun out and scrambled to figure out what the next big goal was, what was my next thing instead of pausing and just letting the impact of that event absorb and that period of my life just, you know, have its catharsis, if you will. Yeah. You know, in the foreword to this book, the actress Maya Rudolph says Olympians are the closest thing we have to superheroes. Does being perceived as a superhero make it more difficult to talk about these periods you're describing. Mm, totally, because the strangest feeling is when the way the world sees you is completely opposite of the way you feel or see yourself. And that makes it hard to feel like you should need help or can are allowed to get help. And it made it really difficult for me until my dad, who had seen what my mom went through, made me get help and that's what I needed and then when my doctor helped me understand that my brain was a body part just like my leg and it could get injured like any other body part and it could also heal like any other body part and suddenly it was not about Olympian or not or superhero or not it was just this body needs to heal and it's going to take some time and it can heal. It's interesting to me that in the book, you actually describe asking for help as a superpower. And in this part of the book, you're talking about when your mother was no longer around, asking other mothers to teach you how to cook or do other domestic yeah. things. You're not talking about like the big life events that you asked for help with, but just the small events. I think eventually we start to lose that muscle that that wants to have mentors or ask for help. And I just have tried to just keep exercising that muscle because I knew how helpful it was for me growing up and also how generous people are to allow someone who needs help to imitate them or be by their side without judging them or like watching them watch them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the awareness that somebody might be watching me now and that everything I do and say someone might take and run with as I did when I was little. And that awareness feels like a privilege and also a responsibility. So having like excavated all of this and interrogated this about yourself and your motivations and your values, you're still running. Why? Yeah. So I ran the 10,000 in Rio and I've always had a curiosity for the marathon it you know it started in Greece where I'm competing, mm-hmm. and I still have not had that feeling in a marathon that I had in the 10K in Rio of complete mind and body 
synergy. And I'm curious if I can get there, you know, exploring the outermost bounds of my mind and body in the marathon. It's also a good way to see a place, like whether, you know, <laughs> however long I compete. I see like new countries, running. compete in the Olympics. Right? It is a efficient and fun way to experience the world regardless of the goal. Alexi Pappas, her new memoir is called Bravey, Chasing Dreams, Befriending Pain, and Other Big Ideas. It's been great talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And if you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, there are free trained counselors available 24-7. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. When former NPR host Lulu Garcia-Navarro spoke to author Glennon Doyle about her book Untamed, it was just the beginning of the pandemic. Women were disproportionately feeling the brunt of school closures, pandemic uncertainty, and the pressure to keep everything together. I said were, but, well, (laughs) you know, it's still unfortunately a really pertinent interview. Author, blogger, spiritual guide Glennon Doyle has something to tell all you women out there. Yep, all of you right now trying to put that brave face on a terrible situation, juggling home life with all the other expectations placed on you as the world, let's face it, seems like it's falling apart. I think every woman on earth needs to lower her expectations for herself exponentially at this point. We are not trying to be amazing. We are just trying to make it through the day. Her new book is called Untamed, and the idea came to her after she watched a cheetah at a safari park she was at with her daughters. So I want to start by asking you about that cheetah story. Um, tell me, Tell me what happened. Well, you know, I had always, I had a simmering discontent inside of myself about um, my marriage, about my family, about my world, about my work. Um, And I was looking for a metaphor for it. And I was at a safari park with my family and um, we went to the cheetah run and the zookeeper came out holding the leash of a lab. And she said, is this the cheetah? And all the kids said, no. And she said, you're right. This is Minnie the lab. We raised Minnie alongside Tabitha the cheetah in order to tame her. And then we watched Tabitha chase a dirty pink bunny. And I just watched that cheetah and thought, oh, if a cheetah can be tamed to forget who she is, to forget her wild, to forget her majesty, to forget her power, and spend her entire life chasing dirty pink bunnies, then so can a woman. I want to talk a little bit about your own journey, um, because you spent a big portion of your life uh, married to a man. You have three kids. Did it feel like something wasn't right back then? It did. I mean, I, well, what I would say is that I had a bad marriage to a good man. You know, I had the kind of marriage that women are trained to be grateful for, right? Mm. What does that mean? Well, it just means that um, I think over and over again, there's sort of a, a of a gaslighting of women. It's, it's everywhere. It's every time we admit that we want more, we're told, oh, you should just be grateful for what you have. You should just be mm. grateful. It's the first story I ever learned about women, like the story of Eve. Like if you want more and you go for it, you will destroy yourself and the world. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, and you write that when you met your current partner, Abby, and she walked into your life, something inside of you came back to life. Um, Why do you think you had to suppress that for so long? All I know is that when I met Abby, there was a voice inside of me that I finally recognized as my own. And 
meeting her was, you know, and following my love for her was a turning point in my life, but not just because I chose her. It was because I finally honored myself. And I think that's what I'm trying to get at at this book, which is this idea that we can let go of the expectations and shoulds and supposed tos that the world gives us and just honor who we actually are and have always been. Well, what does honoring oneself look like? For you, it was finding the bravery to leave a marriage that wasn't satisfying and uh, find a different relationship uh, with someone that you loved. How does someone actually find their voice and understand what it is that's going to make them happy? One of the reasons it is so hard to find our inner voice is because the voices outside of us are so loud because we have be over time we have lived more and more of an exterior life, right? We are always looking at our phones, we are always listening to the TV, we are always listening to outer voices. And so one of the things that changed my life is a practice of spending a few minutes a day just with no other voices. I do not think that everyone needs to leave their husband and marry a female Olympian although I highly recommend it. But (laughs) what I do think is that everyone needs to practice honoring that inner voice. So that's what I'm talking about when I say not abandoning yourself is to say the brave thing and just let the outer worlds rearrange themselves because of you bringing yourself to it. But it's so hard, right? Um, to do something that means you might not be liked. I mean, so many women are policed over their behavior, their tone. Um, And it's hard to buck that in a society that still imposes harsh penalties. It's traumatic, actually, Mm. to constantly be trying to honor yourself and be punished for it. And stepping out of line as women will um, have a consequence, right? And that consequence is they will try to put you back in your place. They will shame you. But not honoring yourself also has a consequence. The result of that is that you slowly lose yourself, you slowly abandon yourself, and you slowly die. We should also say, though, that for some women, it's very hard to make that choice for socioeconomic reasons, for um, all sorts of reasons. Um, it, It is a hard thing for certain women to do. Absolutely. That is right. I had a hell of a lot of privilege that a lot of women don't. And so what I would say is that we are responsible for using whatever power we have in whatever situation we are in to not abandon ourselves. You know, this obviously is pertinent to this particular moment because all of a sudden, um, women all across the world, not just all across this country, find themselves having um, to deal with extraordinary circumstances. How are you dealing with it? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Lulu. This is a hell of a lot too much family togetherness for me. That's what I would say right now. I think everything well, that in makes me feel better. Oh, Lord. I mean, I just really, really, what I'm saying to my people is we just lower our expectations right now, right? Our children are not going to learn what they would have learned in school. You know what they'll learn? They will learn that sometimes things are completely out of our control. And in the end, what matters is how we take care of ourselves and each other. Glennon Doyle is the author of Untamed. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much. That's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. If you want more, you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org newsletter books. 
I'm Andrew Limbong. The podcast is produced by Kelly Wessinger and edited by Megan Sullivan and Taylor Burney. Petra Mayer is our founding editor. The show's producers and editors for this week were Melissa Gray, Samantha Balaban, Emiko Tamagawa, Courtney Dorning, Connor Donovan, Rina Advani, Milton Guevara, Elena Burnett, Hiba Ahmad, and Hadil Al-Salchi. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.